things. Like seeing things as they really are, like you kind of get focused in on the way you see them, and that's just kind of the way it is, right? We, you, troubles pulling back and seeing. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was, I was out in Centerville, and people were hunting down in Corsica River, and you could tell they were, they were, some were hunting facing me and some were facing away because you could kind of tell by the way the, the, the shots were sounding. Uh, it sounded like they were having, there was a war going on, right? People were shooting back and forth. And it made me think of when I was a kid, I was probably 10, 11 years old, had a couple of older cousins, had a couple of younger cousins, and, and our dads would, would oftentimes, we lived out in the boonies, so our, our dads would just kind of cut us loose whenever to get us out of their hair or whatever. And uh, so we went hunting. Had my uncle take a, don't, you can't, you can't report me now. Uh, <clears throat> my uncle would take a, a 55-gallon drum of wheat, and he would take it down, and he'd dump it out on each side of the creek. And so we'd hunt doves down over us. I mean, it would be beautiful wheat everywhere come springtime, you know, because we had hunted over it all summer long. And, and uh, you could do that back then and didn't get a whole lot of trouble. Today, you'd probably get in a little trouble for doing that. But <clears throat> that's what we did as kids. And so we were down there one, one, one time hunting, and uh, a bunch of little kids with shotguns. I know you're already thinking, that eh, doesn't sound like a good idea. It was. We hunted down there all the time. And so we were, on each, we were on one side of the creek, and the doves, they kept flying on the other side. And we were like, man, wouldn't you know, if we were on the other side, they'd be flying over here too. Got a better idea. Let's split up. Half of y'all go on that side, and we'll stay over here, and we'll get them both ways. It doesn't, see, you're already thinking. That's because you're an adult. <laughs> As a kid, you don't think like that. You just think, okay, you're going to be closer to them. Over. You can shoot the ones on that side, and we'll shoot the ones on this side. Good deal. We'll get them in a crossfire. We can't miss. <clears throat> it was great. <laughs> Cousins, well, they went down. They got on the other side of the creek, and we're on this side. We're talking back and forth and having a good old time. Here come the doves. Bang, bang, bang. You know, we're shooting with our 20 gauges and our 410s, you know, little guns. And uh, we're bang, bang, bang. And about that time, we're like, oh, boy. All the pellets start coming down on top of us, you know. And they, they, don't, they don't hurt, but they sting pretty good. <clears throat> what a smart person would have said, okay, we got to change the plans. No, we didn't. <laughs> we just said, this is a perfect range. <laughs> we, can't, we can't really hurt each other, but the doves, they, can, they don't have a chance. And so we, if our fathers would have found us, we would have been in real trouble. But, <clears throat> but it was great. We didn't realize what we were setting up, right? Because we, we didn't see it. We didn't see it. Like, like when, as soon as I said it, you were all like, oh, that doesn't sound good. And, <clears throat> but to a, a 10 or 11-year-old with a shotgun and hunting, it sounds like a great idea. You don't know what you don't know until you realize what you don't know. <clears throat> the question is, what do you do with it once you know? That's the issue. <clears throat> Today, we're, uh, we're finally there. We're finally getting to Jerusalem. And <clears throat> we've been trying to get there for a long time. Scripture says, in where we're, where we're reading from today, in Luke chapter 19, if you've got a Bible, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're in chapter 19. This is a big day. This is a big day. After Jesus had said this, and if you remember last week, he told a parable about, um, parable about a king who went away and left his, left his uh, servants in charge to steward over his, what he left them with, right? And now Jesus, after he told them this, he was right into, now we're walking into Jerusalem. He went ahead, going up to Jerusalem. It's time. Finally, the time has arrived. Palm Sunday is what we call it, right? That's what we call it in the church. It's been a long time coming, but, but this marks the beginning of what you would think of when you read through the Bible at Holy Week. It, 
now today's not Palm Sunday, but in the Bible, it's Palm Sunday, right? It's what we would think of when we think of Palm Sunday. It's the final week of Jesus' life. And over the next, well, between now and Easter, April 9th, 10th, somewhere around there, we're going to be walking through this last week of Jesus' life. If you've been a part of a church for long, you know that this kicks off Easter. This is the start of Easter week. It's a familiar text. We usually call it a triumphal entry, right? That's what we think of. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, if you're looking at it, it probably has the heading right there, triumphal entry. Because that's, that's what it's called. But it, the reality is, as you'll, we're going to see today, it's, it's anything but a triumph. It's anything but that. It's Passover. The town is filled with people. It, it's, it's, more, it's, it's packed, literally packed. More than Rock Hall on 4th of July. You know, but it is that kind of event. It's, it's like everybody's going. Everybody's going to be there. Let's, just, let's keep going in the text. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. <clears throat> As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that, is never, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner said to them, why are you untying that colt? Seems like an appropriate thing to ask, right? <clears throat> and the disciple reply, disciples replied, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And apparently that was sufficient. That was all he needed to hear. It's a parade Jesus is planning here. <clears throat> Before I get, to, to get there, spoiler alert, right? Spoiler alert as to what's going to happen in this text. Luke gives it up in his record of the, right here. Luke actually gives it away. I don't think it's accidental, you see, that he mentions the name of these two towns. If you do a little digging into what these towns mean, the fig tree has always represented God's blessing, right? It, all throughout the Bible, whenever you heard about a fig tree, that was something that, that, uh, God, that was the way God blessed his people, right? In 1 Kings, and Hosea, and Isaiah, it talks about every man having a, a vine and a fig tree. It's the way that God blesses his people. Jesus just told the parable about how, he, how the, this king, right, wants his servants to, to be productive while he's away. <clears throat> and now in Luke chapter 19, verse 29, Luke mentions Bethpage, which means the, the house of unripe figs, and Bethany, the house of many figs. It's as if Luke says, okay, we're coming through this, this house of unripe figs, we're coming through this, this house of, of many figs, and he's asking the reader, when, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, which do you think he's going to find? Well, we, we know what Jesus finds, right? We know what Jesus finds there. He does not find many figs. He finds a city full of unripe figs. The Gospel of Matthew and Mark even go on to, to tell a parable about a tree, right, that Jesus curses the next day. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't just enter Jerusalem, you see. He sets the stage like only Jesus could because Jesus knows. He sets the stage for a parade. I've never, I mean, I've been in a parade, but I've never had a parade. You know the difference? Having a parade, that means you're the point of it, right? Being in a parade, I mean, yeah, we've all done that, right? We've Remember back in high school, making parades with chicken wire and filling them full of toilet paper, and then one day after the parade's over, you set them things on fire. Oh, my. 
Y'all didn't set them on fire? You missed the fun. That was the whole fun of it. <laughs> that was the whole point using the toilet paper. It was just, it would, anyway. <clears throat> those, but those parades weren't about me, right? Those parades weren't about me, the ones that I've been in. Jesus decides himself that he's going to have a parade for himself. Up until now, Jesus has been doing ministry, and every time he interacted with somebody, whether it was disciples or the people he healed, he didn't disclose who he was. And if they guessed it, he was saying, okay, now don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And yet here he is planning things. But, but today things are different. Today Jesus is making a declaration of who he is. He says, you're going to go get a, a very particular unridden donkey. That may, may not mean a whole lot to me and you today, but in Jesus' world, it was a very clear statement of the importance of the person who was going to be riding it. It was a very clear statement. <coughs> the, the interesting thing is that whenever somebody, a royal person would come into town, right? Whenever somebody of, of influence would come into town, what are they going to ride? Not a donkey. They're going to ride a stallion. They're going to ride that great, big, beautiful horse, right? They're going to ride the one that, that walks all crazy. They're going to ride that one, the one that's, wow. People are going to be like, that's unbelievable. They're going to be carrying their, their crown, their shield. I mean, it was, it was a sign of power, of victory, of conquest, right? That's what they would, they would put on display. But the donkey, the colt, that Jesus was riding was just the opposite. It shows humility. It shows peace. Christ didn't come, you see. He didn't want to enter Jerusalem riding a horse as a, as a victor driving a chariot. He didn't come to wear a crown or carry a sword as a royal person would do. No. Donkeys were used. Occasionally, but when they were, it was, well, like for King Solomon. King Solomon. Every time a donkey was ridden into town, it was for a, a civil, it was for a, a communal thing. It was something that, that we did as the people. Not a military procession. <coughs> this is important because we're going to see that the people thought they were getting a military messiah. That's what they thought they were getting. Was this conquering king. Someone who was going to come and judge and fight and rule Christ, you see, though, wanted them to see him differently. But they missed it. So when he rides in on a donkey, it was his way of saying, I come in peace. I don't come to destroy. I don't come to conquer, but to create. Not to condemn, but to heal, to help. I didn't come with the strength of my army. I came with the strength of love. Jesus, you see, is making a claim, a very clear claim. But the crowd, they, they recognized a claim, but not the one that Jesus was making. They, they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. The Levitical law, you see, it, was, it taught that, that an unridden heifer would be the only one whose blood would purify the temple. The, the Mosaic law taught that the Ark of the Covenant could only be carried upon an unridden donkey unridden, undefiled, one that was unblemished, the one that Jesus chose, the one that the prophets had said that the Messiah would actually write. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. 
See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, the prophets had said this is going to happen. This is how your Messiah is showing up. Jesus sent the disciples to go and get a donkey, and they found it just as he had told them they would. I've often wondered about this. (coughs) These two that he sent away. What they were thinking when they went into that village and saw the donkey tied there. I mean, along the way, they were probably thinking, all right, so where are we getting a donkey? You know anybody in this village? No, I don't know anybody in this village. You're like, where do you go to get a donkey? He just said, walk into town and get a donkey, untie it. Like, where do you go? Oh, how about that one? That's the one he was talking about. Okay, let's get it. Are you serious? You're just going to walk over there and take it? Don't you think we should talk to somebody first? No, man, Jesus said, just bring me the donkey. If somebody asked, then tell her. Then explain it. Just, we're just going to do it, Jesus. Man, no way. We're going to get locked up. Donkey theft. <clears throat> but they did it. And what happened? It went just as Jesus had told them, just as Jesus had ex- described it. I mean, this may seem strange to us, right, that Jesus would want to ride a donkey, that, that he would ask somebody and the person would say, sure, yeah, take it. But you see, when you think about it, <coughs> It was a common practice in that day. Whenever somebody would, would, an influential person would come into town, they'd borrow an animal to ride in on. Usually that stallion that was beautiful and everybody was impressed with, right? <coughs> and for the person who owned the animal, it was a privilege. It's like when y'all get in the parade and you borrow somebody's car. You don't take your old hoopty out there and get in the parade. You borrow somebody's fancy old convertible and you sit in the back of that, right? You see all the little kids do it? Why? Why don't they drive mom and dad's car? <laughs> no. Nobody's impressed with that, right? But here Jesus says, go and get that donkey. And the person who's, who owns the donkey, they are proud of the fact that theirs is the one that was chosen. It's an honor to be in the parade, just to have my animal there, to, to allow the, the famous person to ride my animal. That has to be the, the thinking behind. Or this person was just a very devoted disciple of Jesus, right? Somebody who, who really, like, when, when Jesus asked for something, I'm giving it no matter what. Had to be one, it, like, it had to be that. The owner to give up his, his animal. But think about it. Think about the last time that the Lord asked you, spoke to you, clearly, and told you to give up something to give something away for which you had other plans for. I mean, it may have been a tax refund. Like, like, oh, when we get that tax refund, we are going to Orlando. Come on, Disney World. Right? You had plans for it. You've been talking about it all fall. And then the day before the check arrives in the mail, you think, the Lord says, I think you should help that family down the street with it. And you're like, huh. Wouldn't you? Let's be honest. Isn't that what you would do? You'd be like, oh, but we were going to Orlando. How about I give them just a little bit of it? Or that maybe it's that Christmas bonus. Maybe it was the Christmas bonus that, that, the, that the, your, your employer just blessed you with, right? And right when they hand you a picture of some family comes into your head or, or some person comes into your mind and you're thinking, oh, they really, they just told me the other day how they were in need of this or that. And you think, oh, what am I going to do with it? Now what am I going to do, Right? Why is it that we think, when, when the Lord asks something of us, what's the word we always dis, we, we give to it? 
I'll tell you because I don't want you thinking too hard about it. We call it a sacrifice, don't we? Like if I had plans for that money, which I, I do, I'm, granted, I'm, I'm not throwing stones here, but when I have plans for something and the Lord shows me something else, and, and if I'm going to do the thing the Lord asked me, what do I call that? I say I, I say I made a sacrifice. I don't think this man who gave up his donkey considered it a sacrifice. I think he considered it an honor for God to use something, for God to say, hey, can I have that? He said, absolutely. The, the Messiah was from my donkey? <laughs> you kidding me? How about two? But we don't do that, do we? I heard this preached a different way when uh, a man uh, had lost his child. And he said he was, how he was wrestling with it. And he came across this passage of Scripture, and he, he said, my wrestling changed. Because I've been wrestling with, why God, why God, why God? Like I wanted to hold on to my child that I was losing. And, and he said, but, but if the Lord wants my child, why, why, why am I holding on so tight? Like, like what a better honor for my child to go to heaven and be with the Lord. Anything we have, right? I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be as heavy as, as a child that you lose, but, but it could be just as important as something that you had, that I had plans for, that the Lord said, hey, I'm about to change your plans. Great, because obviously what I had planned was not sufficient. Man, would that be a great way to approach to take to our planning? That we could just change that quickly only by the grace of God. But this alone could be a reason for a parade, but that's not why we're having the parade. Look how the people respond to Jesus' plans for a parade here, he says. In Luke chapter, in verse 35, he says, So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over the top of the colt for him to sit on. They like made a saddle out of their blankets. <coughs> As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the, <coughs> yeah, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in its highest. The people are excited. No doubt that the people all around had heard this miracle that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. Right? Everybody's been talking about it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, even though Jesus told people don't talk about it, it's just like Rock Hall. Everybody talks. Right? <laughs> like nobody's keeping a secret. Everybody's talking about it. The rumor is out. Word has gotten around. We can't be for sure, but they're pretty sure that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for since Moses delivered the people out of Egypt. For over a thousand years, he's the one we've been waiting for. And what a perfect time to show up, Passover week. What a per- I mean, you couldn't script it any better. If you were God, maybe. But <laughs> that was it, right? It was, it was perfect. Excitement is in the air. When Jesus shows up on this colt, I mean, people bust. They respond just like people had in the past. They roll out the red carpet, as it were. They didn't have a red carpet, so they put their cloaks on the ground at the and the palm branches, right, which Matthew and Mark record, Palm Sunday, cheering him as he goes along. I mean, get the picture of what's happening here. Passover's coming up. This is probably the most uh, celebrated occasion in Jerusalem. This is it. This is the pinnacle 
of, of their culture. Everybody's in town. People from everywhere. They say for every resident of Jerusalem, there were three guests. So every bed is full. Every couch is full. People are camping in some, everybody's front yard. I mean, it is packed to the brim for a week. Excitement is everywhere. The tradition was that when you would go up to Jerusalem, when they always talk about going up to Jerusalem, is that you're going up the hill. It's like 3,500 feet above sea level. So, so they're going up the hill to Jerusalem. And as, they, as you're going, you're, you're singing songs. Just like when you go on vacation, you know, and you start singing songs in the car. I know some of you really get into that, right? That will be singing old, old rock and roll songs or whatever. School, songs from back in the day, right? We do that. <clears throat> That's kind of what they were doing, but their songs from back in the day were the psalms. So they would sing what were, your, your Bible may even record the psalms. Some of them say a song of ascent. Whenever it says that, that's what it's talking about. This is one of those psalms that they would sing as they walked up to Jerusalem. A song of ascent. You, most of them are, are in the, the 100s, like 113, the one I read at the beginning of worship today, all the way through 118 or several of them. 118 is the one that they quote, or they, they're captured singing here. You know, so everybody's, everybody knows the words of these songs. Everybody's singing along. Everybody's like, yeah, woohoo. Yeah, it's a good time. It's exciting. It's, it's every, the Passover is here. You, and the Messiah. I heard the Messiah is going to be here. I mean, just imagine the scene. And so they, they get to that part in the song that the, the, the Scripture has, the, the passage had today. And it's from Psalm 118 that says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. And they're singing it out loud over and over and over again. And if you read Psalm 118, you would think, man, these people got it. They understood that this is the Messiah. But Matthew and Mark, they tell us a little more. They tell us that he, they were also shouting, Hosanna, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. That's what we used to talk about on, on, on uh, Palm Sunday. Save us, God. Save us. The disciples were declaring him king his followers. But look closely at what they were singing. They weren't exactly singing the psalm. Luke 19, 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. See the difference? They've been waiting a thousand years for this. And they're suffering. They're desperate. And they're so close today that they can taste it. And they begin to shout. Come, king. We need a king. Save us. We want a better life. Get us out of here. Come, be our king. For the last few months, we've been studying what Jesus has been teaching his people. And, and he's been teaching them about this new kingdom that he's bringing in, right? This new kingdom that was, was about... The changes that he's going to bring about. And it's the changes that Jesus is bringing about, this new kingdom, is about what he does in us. It's in you. That's the transformation. And yet they shout, bring us a better life. Bring us a better life. Bring us a better life. We want a new king. When Jesus says, I'm the king, but I came for a different purpose. I mean, they're, they're calling out to Jesus to be their king, and yet they're calling out to him in a sense that expecting it. 
as though they deserve it. I mean, they probably wouldn't say that. You and I probably wouldn't say that either, that we deserve it. But I'll be honest with you. Oftentimes, when I'm in need, I cry out to God. Lord, help me. Save me. God, get me through this. (coughs) I do it with a sense of, I deserve it. All I've done for you, Lord. I've waited all this time, Lord. I've been patient, Lord. I deserve it. You ever do that? You ever approach God as though you deserve it? What does it do to your faith when when you approach God like you deserve it and he doesn't deliver? Wow, what does it do to your faith? You may have been there before. Like that was when you just felt, I mean, the bottom fell out of it. You felt lower than low. That's what happens, right? If he didn't deliver like he should, like we know he should, we need to remember this. You may need to write this down. Jesus isn't obligated to your expectations, to my expectations. Just because I, I think this is the way it ought to be, or just because I think that this, just because I expect it, he's not bound to that. He is not bound to that. He's not obligated to it. Just because you need it, you want it, you're desperate for it just because because you really have earned it he's not obligated it doesn't obligate him to come through for you (coughs) excuse me psalm 127 verse 2 says in vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat trying to earn right for he grants sleep to those he loves don't toil and and stress trust him the only thing that obligates god you see is god the only thing that obligates god is god and god's will that's it because it brings him glory because blessing his children is just like a father blessing their children it's no different it brings him glory it's an expression of his love it's it's god obligates himself Nothing more. Their proclamations of, Lord, help us, save us, continued on because they knew that Jesus was becoming the king that they were so desperate for, even though all along he'd been teaching them that, no, that's not what I'm, I'm not coming to conquer and set you free, not like that. Can you see I'm on a donkey here? But they didn't. And about this time we start wondering, hey, where are, those, where are the bad guys in the story? Uh, all the, all the, these are disciples we've been talking about here. What about, what about those bad Pharisees? On prompt, here they are. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Control your people, he says. A sidebar. Yesterday we had a, a church meeting, uh, or conference meeting, in, uh, in Easton, and several people, some of, several of you were there, and <clears throat> I got stuck in the back, and I wasn't able to sit with the church folks, so I couldn't tell. All I could see was the back of heads. And so there were a couple of people that kept asking questions, 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 questions. And, and it, it seemed like the same two, same two voices. That sound, I don't know if they were the same two people. Same two voices kept asking the same kind of question over and over. Like they would change one word and redo it, and I'm just like, oh, my Lord, have mercy. And I thought to myself, oh, please don't let it be somebody from Rock Hall. Please don't let it be somebody from Rock <laughs> I wasn't sure, but man. 
Man, I was just, I was waiting for him to say, Pastor, control your people. <laughs> like, like, oh, my Lord. Oh, it was bad. But anyway, <laughs> but Jesus' response is great. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Control your people. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I love that boldness. That is the confidence of a king. That is the confidence of somebody who knows who they are and what they are called to. Somebody who's living into it. Like, you can shut them up, but something's going to praise. Something's going to praise me. Why? Because I am the king. Just not the king they're thinking of. I will be praised. I always wish, like, this is one of those scenes, Jessway, that I wish I would have been in the Bible. Because, right, because there's, there's parts of the Bible we wish we could be a part of. This is one that I would want to be a part of because I would want the, the, Jesus to say, let it be the rocks then. Because wouldn't that be awesome if you're just walking along and rocks start praising Jesus? That would have been so great. I would have loved to have seen that. But that's not the way it happened. But <clears throat> anyway, Jesus' attention is drawn away from the chants of the people, away from the, the doubts of the Pharisees, and his attention now moves over to the city of Jerusalem. As they're walking up the hill or walking down the hill, back into the, in the valley where the Jerusalem is, they can see the city. <coughs> and Jesus looks out and he says, he wept over it, Scripture tells us. He's crying. He said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. See, he's the one that's bringing peace on the donkey, and they don't see it's hit. He, who he really is is hidden from their eyes. They don't see it. The days will come upon you when your enemies will, will build an embankment against you, encircle you, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. And the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Missed it. They missed it. We usually call this the triumphant entry, right? But it is by far the untriumphant entry. As Jesus comes to Jerusalem, it looks like anything but a victory. <coughs> I mean, I heard this illustration this week that if, if you have a you give a birthday party for your kids right and you go all out you get the bounce houses you get the little pony to walk around with the kids you have a juggler come a magician whoever you got you go all out you spend you spend that christmas bonus on the on the birthday party right <clears throat> and then about three-fourths of the way through the party right before the juggler is about to finish you look over and your kids in the corner crying you'd be like really i mean you wouldn't be mad at the kid but but that would not be a successful birthday party right if the, point, if the person for the party is in tears, you wouldn't consider that a, a, a great party. That's not a good party. It's not a good outcome. And yet that's what we see here with Jesus. It can't be a triumphant entry because he's in tears. What well, could have been a transformational coronation of a new king instead turns to hollow praise. Hollow praise. Jesus then begins to describe the, the future for the city. What's, uh, the future that would actually wind up happening in about 40 years. Eventually, the, the, the Jews would, would rise up against Rome, and Rome, being Rome, would, uh, would, would lash back. They'd build a, a wall around the city and lock people in. And eventually, they'd run out of food, and they'd start fighting with one another. And getting weaker and weaker and weaker, they'd start to try to escape. And every time they tried to get out, they'd kill them, They'd fall to their death between the walls, crushed. They missed it that day. 
They missed what could have been that day. They never thought to ask Jesus, are we getting this right? Are we on the right page here, Jesus? They never stopped to think. Are we seeing things as we're supposed to see them? And the fact of the matter is that life starts coming at us pretty quick. And we, we find ourselves just, just reacting to it because we can't really, we can't sort it all out. We just have to get through the day, right? And then tomorrow, we just wind up having to get through that day too. And we never take the time to stop. Are we on the right page? Are we doing the right thing here? To pray to God and ask that. Don't, not just to think it through. To ask, are, are we following the right king? Looking back 2,000 years of perspective, <coughs> we say, how could they miss it? Right? I mean, we read the Bible and we're like, I mean, Jesus has been talking about this upside-down kingdom that he's building. Why were they so focused on him becoming a political king when that was never his intent? Why couldn't, why couldn't they get off of that? But in the moment, they seemed so sure. It seemed so right. They were half right. They had the right king, but they were pursuing the wrong kingdom. It's important for us because you can follow the right king and wind up pursuing the wrong kingdom just like they did in Jerusalem if we don't stay connected to Jesus. Following the right king, pursuing the wrong kingdom will always lead us to spiritual frustration. You, you've probably experienced this at some point in your walk with Jesus that, you know, you, you pray the sinner's prayer, you, you, your faith seems alive, and then, then you start going along and just, it starts to feel like fake. There's no power to it at all. There's it's like, why do I keep doing that? It, it's, it's pointless. Like, like, I'm following the right king. I'm reading the right Bible. I'm, I'm, I know Jesus died on, my, on the cross for my sin. I know he rose again. I know all those things. So, so what's the problem? It's because we're living for the wrong kingdom. See, we come to Jesus, we pray the prayer, then we expect God to get to work solving our problems. We pray that. Fix our problems. Heal us. Deliver us. Set us free. We make religion about us. And that's never what religion was meant to be. Religion was always meant to be about Him. It's supposed to be about drawing us close to Him. To getting us on His page. Not the other way around. Not to get Him on our side, but to get us on His side. That's what pursuing the wrong kingdom is all about. Instead, we need to do what some of the things that the people in this story that we read today, what they did, right? <clears throat> we, need to, we need to slow down first and ask Jesus, am, am I tracking here? Am I on the right track with you, Jesus? Am I, am I following, am I living for your kingdom or am I for my own? But we also need to follow his commands. Like when he says, go into town and find the colt. We just say, all right, let's go into town and find a colt. Trusting that he'll provide whatever it is that he sent us for. It may not make sense to us, but when he, when he calls you and sends you, you just, you just do it. When the Lord asks for something from us, 
we say here. Not, oh, I have other plans. Should, I should talk to somebody first. Just here. Lord, you need this? Take it. I trust you. That you can do more with all of me than I can do with any of me. <coughs> Another thing we need to do, like the crowds, is praise. Praise him. But not for what he's going to do tomorrow, but for what he's already done. What has he already done in your life? Spend some time giving thanks to God for that. That alone will kind of reset, your, recalibrate your, your mind and your heart. If you just wake up every day, right? Wake up every day, praising, thanking God for what he did for you already yesterday, over the, through the night, whatever. Like start your day in thanksgiving, and that alone will kind of set you on a path where you're coming from what he's already done. Not just, not just starting our day, Lord, help me today. God, I'm, I got a meeting, and I'm going to need you to show up. And uh, got, Not just that, but... but What's already done? Keep me on path. <coughs> but I got news for you. Good news, bad news. You have to decide. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own for any period of time. You can, for, you can gut it out for a little while, but over time it's just, well, you've experienced it, right? When your faith gets cold, it just loses steam because you're, you're just gutting it out. What we need is God's Spirit. And that's what He promises to give us. That's why He came. That's why this whole going to Jerusalem and being, being rejected by the people is such a big deal because being rejected is the Lord that would eventually lead to His crucifixion. And His crucifixion, His death, His resurrection, then we would be restored into a relationship with God. Then we would have access to God's power at work in us. And that is how we live the life that he invites us to, that he longs for us to live, is having his power at work in us. That's my prayer for you. That not only do you follow the right king, that you, but you pursue the right kingdom. And you're going to need his power to do that. I'd like to pray for you today.